Hello, it's 15th of December 2019 and this is episode 126 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the series. And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? It's been this complicated dance between, like, staying on the internet and, like, also staying away from too much information about the movie because it's really reached critical mass now. And, yeah, there's lots of stuff out there about this movie and I know a lot of stuff, but I want to avoid really detailed information about this movie as much as possible. And so Twitter and everything has been an absolute minefield. But yeah. it's also kind of been a fun game to play, in a sense. <laughs> so I can't say I'm not enjoying it, basically. But yeah, it's a dangerous game. How about you, Kirsty? Yeah, it's just, it's wild that tomorrow people are going to be seeing this movie for real and kind of giving us their reactions on Twitter, trying to be vague and not spoilery about it. But if you're familiar with what someone thinks and what they would like to see in the story and then you see their reaction, it's going to start giving us pretty firm clues i don't know i my brain like isn't even functioning at this point i'm just like i can't believe we're so close finally yeah i'm like christmas what christmas <laughs> like i did just have to like casually remind myself oh yeah you need to buy presents for your friends yesterday <laughs> because it just does become like so all-consuming you know and yeah it's just a lot and I have actually brought presents for my friends and everything and my family so it's okay and Christmas will happen but yeah Star Wars is just quite intense and I love it being at Christmas but it also means that Christmas is massively hectic for several reasons basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah it's just interesting it feels like we're on the precipice of like a big seismic shift right oh yeah this is gonna like change the paradigm of fandom somehow like like the last jedi and the force awakens did too yeah um hopefully the goal of every movie is to kind of move the conversation and change people's ideas about things and i don't know it's just weird being sat here kind of on the eve of that um just knowing that everything's going to kind of change for the fandom and the surrounding conversation because when a star wars movie comes out it does feel like the whole world is suddenly obsessed with star wars again and it's mm. been kind of that way with the mandalorian and like <laughs> the viral aspect of baby yoda and all that i don't know <laughs> there's a lot to think about yeah but i'm ex- i'm excited i'm trying to keep expectations in check because we all have our ideas about where we want the story to go and what we would love to see and i've seen a lot of like the bingo cards floating around and stuff um, so kind of reminding myself that I'm not in control and I'm seeing someone else's vision for these characters in this story and just going to try and go along for the ride and enjoy it as much as I can. Yeah, I think that's a really fantastic stance to have going into this movie, to be honest, because everyone is going to feel how they're going to feel, you know, and no way of going into this movie is right or wrong. Exactly. But I feel like you're putting yourself in the best possible position to succeed by taking a deep breath, trying to suspend your hopes and dreams and desires as much as possible. So obviously you can't do that completely when you go into the theatre and just watching the story and taking it on its own terms and seeing how it works for you and how it works in relation to what it's trying to achieve and the story that it's trying to tell. 
So I'm not saying I'm going to be completely successful trying to go into it with that frame of mind. But that's the frame of mind I want to have going into this movie, you know, because I really want to enjoy it and hopefully love it, to be honest. You know, I want to love it like I've loved the other sequel trilogy movies. But yeah, part of that has to be about me trying to suspend whatever I might want from this movie from my mind as much as possible, while still hoping that I get some things that I want. I have faith in you because you're very level-headed about that sort of thing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you don't you don't really feel like the story owes you anything, at least the way you talk about it. You know, I do think that you you have the right mindset for that. Um, for me, and I, I'm sure you feel this way too to an extent, I just feel like there's so much riding on this movie, not just in terms of being the end to like episodes seven and eight. Yeah. Just as the supposedly last episode in this nine movie story like that's such a crazy level of expectation and pressure um but i'm just kind of curious to see how they pull it off oh yes they can't weave in everything like i've been reading a lot of interviews with chris terrio and jj where they do talk about the amount of character arcs that they need to wrap up and how they want to kind of reference and make sure that there are no loose threads in terms of the dialogue that any of these characters have spoken to each other over the course of the movies and it's like (laughs) That doesn't actually sound realistic to me. Like, yeah. it's okay to leave some stuff ambiguous and unsaid. And Yeah. It's like, chill out, guys. You're okay. Yeah, it might actually be to your detriment if you feel like you have to go back to every comment that Poe said to Finn in The Force Awakens or Ray and Finn said to each other. Like, you know, not everything needs to be explained in the movie. So... I'm interested to see what they think about that. And of course, there'll be stuff that they want to kind of echo and call back to because as the characters evolve and understand each other more, there'll be things that someone said to them previously that they'll look at in a new light. Kind of that's that's the nature of it. But it'll be interesting to see which of those things they've chosen to focus on. Oh, yeah. And they've also talked a lot about this, not just wrapping up this sequel trilogy, but also wrapping up all of the Star Wars saga films, which is obviously a huge task to take upon yourself, you know, so yeah, kudos to them for even trying, to be honest. But yeah, as part of that, I actually went back and watched Revenge of the Sith for the first time in probably years, to be honest, yesterday. And I really enjoyed it, you know, like, I'm not the biggest prequel defender in the world. I enjoy the movies, but I'm not this huge, passionate fan of them so to speak but watching Revenge of the Sith again I was surprised by how moving I found it to be and yeah you really do feel that Greek tragedy aspect of it coming through a lot you know especially in terms of Palpatine's machinations and how he expertly plays all of these characters and especially in terms of that relationship with Anakin and Padme and that brutal inevitability of how tragically it ends up concluding you know there's something so so poignant about that and there's this whole idea of that fear of loss and that just sense of childlike fear and isolation being the ultimate cause of Anakin's actions and choices you know and I feel like as a response to that Rise of Skywalker has to interact with that in some way and yeah I'm curious to see how it's going to do that yeah I think that is one of the key things that will be incorporated because we saw that Ryan did that to an extent in The Last Jedi as well right Mm, yeah Um, so yeah I think with 
certain parallels between that throne room scene and what we got on Mustafar between Anakin and Padme. This notion of like what would happen next had Padme stayed alive and if Anakin had had conflict in him once he'd gone to the dark side, if he was actually like, ooh, <laughs> maybe I did make a bad choice here. I feel like that's kind of where we are in terms of paralleling the sequel trilogy. It's kind of like a what if. So yeah, it's like an alternate take on both the prequels and the original trilogy, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I was watching Return of the Jedi yesterday and obviously this is not new information to any fans but I was really struck just watching it kind of on the eve of the rise of Skywalker in terms of how unambiguously happy that ending is right Um, yeah obviously you have the bittersweet aspect of Vader dying after redeeming himself and Luke being sad and mourning that but um then you see his force ghost and Luke and Leia and Han and Lando and everyone celebrating on Endor and um I think a lot of fans are feeling a little bit apprehensive about the idea of that ending being erased because they've chosen to tell the sequel trilogy um, after that. So it's like that ending was kind of not not erased. That stuff still happened in canon. But um, once you get to The Force Awakens, it's this idea of 30 years later, uh, there's a new war ongoing and these characters have all suffered heartbreak and kind of been set back in various ways and um there's this new generation that has to fix things somehow but on what note is it going to end Mm. Uh, is it going to be more of a bittersweet angle um or is it gonna really bring that fairy tale happy ever after aspect to it so Exactly. Because even watching Revenge of the Sith and the way that movie ends, that is fundamentally a tragic movie. But yeah, at the end you do still get the hope with those two babies, you know, and seeing those babies in the arms of their new parents, as in Bail Organa and Brea and Owen and Baru Lars. And there's something beautiful and uplifting just about those visuals, you know, and there's no words to those scenes, but you see them holding those children. But yeah, like it make, it makes it bearable, essentially, you know, because if it had ended with Padme dying on the operating table after delivering her children, it's like, wow, I feel really shit now, <laughs> you know, like that is not a Star Wars ending because in Star Wars, even if you tell a tragic story, they still do give you like this little epilogue of hope, you know, and a sense of the future. So, yeah, I'm really, really curious like you to see the tone that it's going to opt for at the end of it yeah i think george had a really unique opportunity with revenge of the sith to make like you say this devastating tragedy but because we knew that the original trilogy existed and everything would turn out okay in the end he almost could go even further with that heartbreak yeah um so i struggle to watch that movie too often because it's so emotionally heavy Mm. um i love it but yeah there's just so much there (laughs) yeah it's really it's a lot it's devastating so and i was also struck by how much of it is just conversations between people you know it's such a human movie which is not what i think many people think of when it comes to star wars you know like and i know sometimes the prequels get lambasted for that it's like oh it's all people having boring conversations in rooms but they're not boring conversations to me in that movie you know it's all stuff about 
yeah, like we were saying, playing into people's fears and anxieties and exploiting that ruthlessly for your own ends. And that's fascinating drama. Yeah, there's so much tension and uncertainty between all of those characters. Like, there's a real ominous aspect to it. You can tell that they know that something's going on, (laughs) but they don't know what. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's safe to say that our advice at the outset of this very important episode, VIE, if you will, is to go and basically watch Revenge of the Sith and Return of the Jedi. So watch the finales of the previous trilogies to prepare yourself for the finale of this trilogy. So yeah, I think that's a worthwhile strategy, guys. I definitely want to try and fit in Return of the Jedi, though we'll see if it happens. (laughs) Um, Okay, awesome. Are you ready to move into the news section, Kirsty? Yeah. Okay, fabulous. Um, So I know we've been doing this for a few weeks now, and I hope it doesn't frustrate people. Um, but there's obviously been a shit ton of news and stuff that we could talk about, including some tremendous TV spots that are very exciting and thrilling. But guys, we're literally like three days away from the movie, almost. So yeah, let's just talk about in the context of the movie. We both agree on that point, don't we, Kirsty? Yeah, there's a lot of really exciting stuff in there that on one hand I would love to talk about, but by the time this episode gets out, people will be like getting ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's going to be recontextualized. There might be stuff that seems one way in the trailers and is actually very different once you see it in the movies. And the movie, not movies. Um, <laughs> and like, I don't know. It's just, it almost feels like we're too close. So we can't yeah. do any of this stuff justice in terms of discussing it. Um, it's all very intriguing. Yeah, and I think it's safe to say that we'll be able to discuss the scenes and the dialogue that they're using in these trailers and TV spots in a much more interesting way when we have the full context for it, basically. So we know it's out there, we're not ignoring it, and we'll come back to it really soon because, yeah, we're going to have a Rise of Skywalker reaction episode hopefully by the end of this week. Fingers crossed. But yeah, we will see. That's still crazy to think about. (laughs) I know, right? Less than a week. (laughs) (laughs) Scary. I'm scared, Kirsty, so much. Okay. So what we are going to talk about in the news is that we have previews from the upcoming Rise of Kylo Ren comic book series by Charles Soule. So there's two previews out there, one from issue one and one from issue two. So we're going to talk about both of them. Not in great detail because, yeah, we'll talk about the comics when they come out. But First of all, we're going to talk about the preview of issue one. And this shows Ben Solo being confronted by some of his fellow students after the destruction of the temple. So, yeah. What was your first response to seeing this artwork and seeing this preview, Kirsty? Did you like it? I did. Um, It kind of was in keeping with what I thought they were going to do, which was I didn't think that the other Padawans were going to believe Ben. Mm, Um, Yeah. And I thought there would be some, like, existing mistrust and tension between them that this would kind of set alight. Yeah. Um, what's interesting to me is that they, they're they not able to sense Luke. And neither's Ben. They they all think he's dead. <laughs> yeah. So is this the point where Luke cuts himself off from the Force? It seems like a really inopportune point to do that. Maybe that was intentional. Maybe he was like, I want to go into hiding at this point and I want them all to think that I'm dead and... I'm so ashamed by what I did, you know? Mm, potentially. 
Yeah, I'm very curious to see what's going on with Luke at this point. I'll tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of Monty Python and the Holy Grail and how you have that car of like dead people during the plague and how one of them's going, I'm not dead, I'm still <laughs> alive! He's just there under the rubble. And I like this idea of at the end of this preview bit they've got here, um, Ben saying none of you are Jedi because they've he he's trying to say you all should leave too. I'm leaving. This place is ruined, um, presumably by Luke's actions. There, it's kind of undermined all of his teachings. Um, and instead of leaving, they light their sabers like they're about to attack him. Mm. So he he says none of you are Jedi, and this is his real disillusionment moment. That it's like this is all a lie. We're not peacekeepers. We're warriors. Um, and there's this aggression underlying all of this stuff yeah like he actually gives a great little petulant speech that i'd actually quite like to perform if you're okay with that Kirsty. sure yeah what what foe you don't think i could do it you don't think i'm strong enough in the force i'm stronger than all three of you put together skywalker made us act like we're all equal but you all know the truth i was this temple's prize student and when it mattered, I was stronger than Luke Skywalker. <laughs> it's like, he's like so, oh my god. It's just that arrogance. I find it really entertaining. I think it's arrogance that masks fear. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's like defensive. Yeah, he's just, he thinks that his master was trying to kill him. Not his master, his uncle. Yeah. Um, And he's like, well, I was stronger. So that's why I've come out of this alive i've survived and he hasn't and yeah has that aggression because i think he's like starting to realize that he's kind of on his own here yeah um you can't really rely on anyone um and it reminds me a lot of anakin like i feel like this and seeing these jedi here again like drawing their sabers rather than listening to each other like it is kind of echoing the mistakes of the past yeah it's true and yeah like you say it's sort of a coping mechanism isn't it because it reminds me of i don't know when you're bullied and made to feel isolated one way of coping with that is to be like well the reason i'm being isolated in this way is because i'm clearly just so far above and beyond these other people like i'm so much better than them you know i do Mm -hmm. think that's a natural response sometimes um and yeah it's clearly just at the root of this very tragic story with ben solo and yeah our poor boy it's very sad Mm -hmm. so this one comes out on wednesday so by the time this episode comes out we'll be getting ready to read this yeah um interested to see the rest of the story here yeah oh my god (laughs) it's all so close it's ridiculous yeah i do think the timing of this comics release is interesting it is obviously supposed to tie in with the movie, so yeah, it's interesting to see how that affects the context as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's going to be some interesting intersection, I think. Yeah, and do you think these were students that Ben Solo played um, spin the bottle with, Kirsty? <laughs> Maybe some of them. <laughs> <laughs> I love the thought of him playing spin the bottle with that like squid head alien <laughs> character. <laughs> it's like, hey, dare you to kiss me? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's a strange thought for my mind to have. Um, Okay, cool. So let's go on then to the other preview, which is of issue two. 
And this one's really interesting as it shows a much younger Ben Solo. Would you like to describe briefly what these panels show us, Kirsty? Yeah, well, this is what's interesting to me because the cover, he looks older. I don't mm. know if that's intentional, but there it... I, do you think it's supposed to be or do you think it's just like that's the drawing style for the cover versus the actual comic? I think inside... it's just a different style of art because I think he's clearly representing Ben Solo as he's depicted in the pages of the comic. And I think it's also just a question of how it's framed because Ben Solo's in the foreground, so it's less obvious that he's quite small. You know? It's not just small, it's the way his face is drawn. He looks mm. like 12 in the comic itself, but yeah. um, on the cover, he looks closer to what Ben might look like in the flashbacks in The Last Jedi. So yeah. just a few years before. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure about that. But inside, I was struck, I really struck by how young they'd drawn him. He he can't be older than 12. Yeah, he's clearly so, prepubescent, I think. So Luke's taken him with Law Santeca on this mission, presumably to find the Knights of Ren. Or maybe they're on a mission for something else and they just encounter the Knights of Ren. But either way, it's dangerous. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would like to see a CRB check for Luke and Law Santeca and like evidence that they can behave responsibly with young children because this is not responsible behaviour, in my opinion, to endanger a small boy in this way. I don't think Leia can know about this. <laughs> can you imagine having, like, if you were sort of like a teacher and having to send a letter explaining this incident to the parent? And be like, oh, Sue, I have something to tell you. Well, it's his sister. That's his nephew. Like, you'd think he'd be more careful. Yeah, it's not a good look. And yeah, we don't have any dialogue for these panels. Cause it's obviously been taken out. I'm sure there is dialogue in the actual comic, like with these panels, essentially. They're not just images in isolation. But you get these like really cute images. Like there's one where Ben has his like little fist clenched in his arm up, and it looks like he's defending Luke to the mm. others. Like saying, "No, he's my uncle. Don't you dare go near him." <laughs> and yeah, it's like so cute because that will be the first time we've seen that sort of relationship with Ben and yeah. Luke. You know, where he genuinely looked up to and loved his uncle. Because yeah, by the time we see that flashback in the Last Jedi, it's broken and. Mm -hmm it's distrust and fear between them so yeah i'm really excited to see what that relationship looked like before it went sour yeah i'm really looking forward to that because i feel like they must have loved and cared about each other a great deal um and he must have respected him because that's what makes the last jedi all the more painful right yeah and um, all of this stuff has happened between them since i'm also very curious about this former master of the knights of ran yeah who was clearly ripped they're showing us that he was <laughs> yes. literally ripped so yeah, yeah he looks different from the rest of them like, <laughs> strange costume choices yeah it's like to be master of the knights of ren you must be swole mm -hmm. indeed <laughs> <laughs> so yeah maybe you like get an automatic gym membership when you join the knights of ren <laughs> that's my working theory yeah makes sense yeah, and it's also interesting to me how this relationship between Ben and the Knights is going to play out in this comic because, yeah, like I sort of wonder do they see something in Ben at this point that makes them like, oh, this kid looks promising, we want him with us, you know? Or is mm -hmm. it more that 
it's working the opposite way around where Ben sees them and they leave an impression on him. So then he goes and seeks them out later. I'm sure that's a big part of the story of this comic book series, to be honest. So we're going to find out. But Yeah. yeah. I almost wonder if he's going to display a crazy level of force power. Mm. Um, but who knows? I mean, that they're, yeah, they're not showing us anything too revealing here. It's kind of setting the scene. But yeah, yeah I guess we know that the Knights of Ren are quite a bit older than him so yeah no definitely that'll play in at all to their dynamic in the rise of skywalker is he a peer or is it something different yeah we did always get the impression before that they were just like a bunch of like quasi teenagers basically obviously not literal teenagers but in terms of symbolic level on which the story is operating basically all teenagers but yeah this would suggest that they're more like his adoptive dads <laughs> And it was kind of up for debate whether they were force sensitive or not as well. But mm. I, I think they're going to turn out to be, which is interesting given their choice of weapons and stuff. Yeah, so they definitely do not have lightsabers. <laughs> this comic makes that very clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's going to be a very interesting story. And yeah, I'm still kind of surprised it's a story they chose to tell as a comic, to be honest. So it feels extremely juicy. And I know Charles Sol is really good. But God, like this looks like it should be a animated series, you know, know. or even a live action series. I don't know. Maybe they'll adapt it later in that I was going to say, I I think there are going to be plenty of opportunities for other stories for Ben Solo and Luke. But yeah. I mean, there's a huge chunk of time that they can explore. But I, I, like you, I was like, oh God, this could be a really great novel or yeah, a show. Um, yeah. Not to invalidate comics, I'm really looking forward to it, but I don't know about the readership comparison. Yeah. From, you know, versus the 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 reach of a TV show. Yeah. Especially now that we have things like The Mandalorian that are becoming hugely popular. Yeah. And f- I think for me it's just in terms of if I had to like list the formats in which I most like to see my Star Wars stories delivered, comic books would probably be bottom of the list and again I don't mean to disparage it as a medium you know and I think it takes a lot of care and talent to craft these comic books but for me they're always like frustrating experiences because it takes like five minutes to read an issue of a comic book you know and it's exciting while you're reading it but it's over so so quickly you know so I prefer like a novel or something but Mm -hmm. yeah we're getting what we're getting so I'll definitely take it Yeah. Oh, one final thing. How did you feel about seeing your main man, Law Santeca, back in the action, Kirsty? Oh, yeah. I'm interested to see how he interacts with both Luke and Ben. Mm, yeah. Because um, obviously, you get the sense at the beginning of The Force Awakens that he's known Ben since he was young. Like that's the context of that, um, that dialogue exchange between them that they have clearly known each other for a long time, and that is what emphasizes how much Ben Solo's life has changed. Yeah, and it must be pretty heartbreaking for Los Anteca if he was a trusted friend of Luke's um, to see what's happened or to see what he thinks has happened because presumably he doesn't know exactly what happened at the temple but he knows that Ben has fallen to the dark side and then the next time he sees him he's masked like that and yeah has like this voice modulator and everything it must be very strange yeah Especially when he's remembering this innocent little boy he once was. It's yeah. very heartbreaking. <sighs> oh, Ben. <laughs> Benny, Benny boy. So many bad choices. Um, okay, cool. So let's move on to our next segment, which is just going to be a touch of nostalgia 
to be honest because we just briefly at this at this turning point in the fandom history we wanted to look back on our fandom experiences so far and yeah just reminisce so yeah like how do you how would you describe your fandom journey from the force awakens kirsty how was it in the aftermath of that movie well i'm i'm sure i've talked about this many times we've been doing this podcast for a while now but i was never really familiar with online fandom or organized fandom or whatever you'd call it as like a community um before the force awakens like i must have known it was out there vaguely but i'd never really thought about it um and because I was so struck by The Force Awakens when I went to see it, mostly because of Rey's story and her dynamic with Kylo, I was like, oh, I want to keep talking about this. And it it really surprised me. I like, I didn't expect to love it so much. Yeah. Because I'd been like a fan of Star Wars, but not in terms of like enough to engage with it, other than when you happen to be watching the movies. Um, and you know friends in real life had moved on at that point like a couple of months after the movie was out they were ready to watch other things and talk about other things and i just wanted to keep exploring this story and its potential yeah so went online and that was really when i started to realize that my reading of the story diverged so much from the general reading of it yeah um so obviously i gravitated towards people who seemed to be kind of on my page or on the same page like people like you other friends that I've made um and there, there's obviously a whole community around that reading now of like thinking that Kylo was eventually going to redeem himself and Rey and Kylo were going to have this whatever shade of kind of a romantic intense emotional connection mm-hmm. um obviously people have their own specific readings of that and how it'll turn out but it, it's always kind of baffled me because I'm very grateful for everything this fandom has given me in terms of the friendships, the connections, the discussions of the story. Um, but I remember coming out of The Force Awakens for the first time and being pretty sure of what they were doing in terms of like that central thing. And it didn't cross my mind that people would be so offended by it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what that says about me, but... People have tried to tell me since then what that says about me in some not nice words. Mm. Um, so it was kind of a shock to go start going online probably around February, March of that year and then just be kind of bombarded with these pretty aggressive messages of <laughs> I, I was a bad person for reading the story this way. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was pretty shocking. And I know that fandom has kind of rewritten a lot of that history over the months and the years since because some of it was really brutal yeah and i think as the stories evolved and as more people have come around to the idea that kylo might redeem himself or kind of softened on things after the last jedi like seeing that there is kind of this sexual or romantic element to their dynamic however you think that might pan out yeah um it was really bad Mm. and it drove a lot of people away from enjoying the story or connecting with people. Um, it really affected a lot of people. And uh, I'm not going to forget it. <laughs> like, Yeah. No, I think it's important. Yeah, I've, I don't regret the things that I have been able to connect with. I definitely don't regret doing this podcast. I really, really enjoy it. Mm. Um, 
but it's just been this really strange experience over the last few years of being told that you're wrong being told that you're like somehow morally dubious or (laughs) bad Mm. person for reading a story differently from someone else um so however things turn out i don't know it's it's kind of hard to move past that in a way yeah no it's true like i remember the post force awakens experience as it was the best of times it was the worst of times <laughs> like i i know i say that in a, like a jokey way but i do also mean it because i feel like we had such a rich creative fandom like after the force awakens i really think that in a way like the particularly the raylo corner of fandom was at its best in those early days after the force awakens came out because i feel like it was this fascinating period of mystery and exploration you know about oh my god i saw this like weird chemistry and this strange connection between ray and carlo in that interrogation scene did anyone else see that and then you're sort of like searching on the internet and finding tumblr and you're like oh my god other people saw that as well and people are writing six thousand word thesis about like their observations and how these things parallel other stories and mythologies and folk tales and etc etc you know and I love The Last Jedi and I think it's a fantastic movie but I feel like it couldn't inspire the same sort of engagement because in The Last Jedi everything became that much more over it's in your face when it's literally people holding hands and obviously I know that Raylo is still controversial and lots of people don't see it slash don't think the story should go there which I respect as an opinion um but yeah I think in terms of directorial intent it's pretty undeniable that that sort of romantic angle was there by the time Last Jedi came around and yeah I think I'll always love that post Force Awakens period precisely because of that ambiguity that it gave us you know so I think that was so exciting in a way that can never be replicated again in terms of those characters yeah I do think there was an element of ambiguity um not just around like was there a connection because i actually thought that stuff was pretty blatant yeah but um in terms of where it might go because there were a lot of people in like the the raylo corner of fandom who saw it but still thought that nothing would ever happen in terms of like ray maybe showing him affection it might be like a one-sided thing or a tragic thing um he might still not redeem himself it might be like a villainous crush that sort of thing and I think some people maybe thought it would remain like a subtextual mm. thing. Um, but yeah, I, it, in The Force Awakens, I think if people are honest and they go back to read that, watch that movie and see what they're reading of it, might it might be different now or whatever. But for me, it has never been that subtle. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, this is like a, it's a blockbuster and it's designed for children to see it as well as adults. So... It can be subtle in some ways, but in terms of him like taking his mask off and her being visibly shocked by his appearance and then getting real close to each other and him begging to teach her and all this. Um, and uh, on top of that, all of like the redemption foreshadowing too. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's relatively on the nose, which kind of made all of that response to it a little frustrating and still does. But yeah. 
as looking at the pros and cons of all that, I, I do think overall, um, I don't know, that a lot of it has kind of affected the way people in our corner enjoy the story because I feel like a lot of the time there's been this sense of like a burden of proof on us mm. for justifying our reading. Yeah. Um, and that that's probably why a lot of people felt they had to delve into all of these mythological parallels and stuff. And a lot of that was fun and a lot of it was apparent. Like, you know, you can't deny that Hades and Persephone imagery. You see that in lots of stories, but it was definitely present here. Yeah. Um, however explicitly or conscious that reference was to the filmmakers, that's just something that is so subconscious in a lot of storytelling that black and white bridegroom underworld abduction imagery, right? Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the ending of the story, but at the same time, you just don't want it to end. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, and it's strange knowing that you are on the edge of this seismic shift again, because that definitely happened after The Last Jedi. It was, it was strange suddenly to have all of this stuff being discussed openly elsewhere in fandom yeah. when we felt like we'd kind of had to hide away for a little while Yeah, <laughs> in our little Raylo bunker. Yeah, no, it's true, because, yeah, what you were saying before about the negativity and how a lot of people were just in complete denial about any of this being an aspect of the movie and like there being any validity to this sense that there was a romantic dynamic with Ray and Kylo um that manifested in very very tangible ways like again I know we've said this before but I feel like it's been a while since we've said it and it's significant so it shouldn't be forgotten but Jedi Council forums the biggest Star Wars forum online and obviously forums are kind of like old school now you know people don't really go on forums anymore but they are still a thing like that forum literally banned any discussion of Raylo in the sense of a romantic dynamic between the characters until just before The Last Jedi came out when it became essentially irrefutable that it was going to be an aspect of that movie. And yeah, that just underlines how ridiculous it all got, essentially. And yeah, you're right. So even though I loved all this meta and all this writing and discourse about The Force Awakens and what was going on with that movie, all of that wouldn't have existed, I don't think, if there hadn't been such a fierce pushback against that idea as a concept you know people were desperately trying to make it tangible you know for everyone because they wanted people to see what they were seeing if that makes sense yeah and a lot of that wasn't just about like validate me prove that i'm right it was like look i have reasons for thinking this could you please leave me alone yeah <laughs> um because i don't know if Maybe some people out there still don't know how bad it it got, but mm. there was a lot of real harassment, bullying, doxing. There still is, to be honest. Yeah. Um. I somehow, and I I respect that everyone has their right to read the story however they want, but I still see people incredibly confident that Ray is gonna like just hate him forever, and it's like, are you reading any of the things that the cast are saying in interviews? Uh, you watching the TV spots? Maybe people aren't, but I I don't quite know how someone could come out of the last jedi thinking that mm. but but maybe that's the power of storytelling we all have our own read it's just uh when that manifests in treating other people terribly for their reading it's it's pretty sad it is sad but yeah how do you feel it's changed since the last jedi came out do you feel like it's got better 
I, I do think it's got better in lots of ways. I still think, like I say, there is definitely still that residual harassment out there from people who, and I believe it is these people's right to just not like the dynamic that's there. Because mm, um, I think a lot of it beforehand was like a denial of it and thinking that we were just seeing stuff that wasn't there. But now it's like, I don't like this. So that is different because it's like, I see what you're seeing. I just think it's wrong. And I think you're wrong for responding positively to it. Yeah. So so it is a little different. There's not so much gaslighting in that aspect. It's not like you're just seeing things that aren't there by design. Yeah. Um, it's just saying you have trash taste. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, lots of people don't like the sequel trilogy and, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I do think in general it improved. I think the concept of Raylo as a possible story t- direction kind of went more mainstream and you got a lot of like skits and like just a lot of more casual references to the fact that Kylo clearly had a crush on Rey and there was like a connection between them and there was a there is this sexual tension in that story um but I think still a lot of people like weren't willing to put themselves on the line and say how they thought things would be resolved and that's fair enough because it can go in lots of ways um we've obviously theorized the ways that we think it might go um but we're also as we said at the beginning of the episode trying not to be too strict about that because at the end of the day jj presumably wants to surprise people in lots of different ways Mm. um yeah and as we were talking about in terms of revenge of the sith and return of the jedi things can be tragic in star wars and they can also be wonderfully romantic and happy ever after so we just kind of have to see yep exactly we're in the car we're going on a journey (laughs) we're gonna reach that destination guys whatever it is so I think it's all going to be okay because at the end of the day I think one of the best things that's come out of the sequel trilogy has been the fandom you know and there's obviously been a lot of negative press around Star Wars fans and the sequel trilogy but I do feel like our corner of the fandom with like the the Raylos and the podcasts and like the meta and the fan arts and the fan fiction I feel like there's just been so much wonderful stuff, you know, and I feel like whatever happens, none of that is going away, you know, and yeah, I'm sure that after this final story wraps up, we're going to see a different fandom and some people want to move on to other things and so on and so forth and that's all okay, but everything that was achieved and everything that was created is still going to be around, you know, and the idea of transformative fandom is also so powerful, you know, so... If you didn't like the story, there's always going to be ways of reinventing that story and reconfiguring it and approaching it from different angles. And Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's part of the fun. And I, I also, I'm not sure if people outside of the fandom are aware of this, but maybe when people think of Raylo fandom, they think of people who are only invested in the story of Rey and Kylo. Um, but actually, our corner of the fandom... Um, really really loves characters like rose tico for example yeah um and i don't know if people saw recently but kelly was gifted a lot of rose fan art um by some fans in new york when she was giving an interview there um she was given the after blossom where's rose uh coloring book which i have on pre-order i'm really excited to get it oh she's one of my favorite Raylo artists so there's a lot of love for a lot of other characters too um we kind of embrace the sequel trilogy as a whole i don't know i feel like in lots of ways our corner does kind of really champion the sequel trilogy 
Uh, we'll see how The Rise of Skywalker goes. It won't be to everyone's taste. But in terms of The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, I feel like there's so much there to embrace and celebrate. And sometimes things kind of can get lost in the shuffle of the negativity and the discourse and the outrage. Um, and I know they're just, they're not to everyone's taste. Some people prefer the EU. Some people prefer the prequels. Some people prefer the original trilogy. Some people prefer the animation. That's totally fine. We mm. all have our thing. Um, but, you know, like Rose says, you got to fight and save what you love and focus on that rather than the things that you don't like. So, yeah, hopefully people can do that. And I think that with the reaction to the rise of Skywalker, I think it's inevitable that some people are going to be really disappointed and potentially even upset. And that's only because people are so invested and care so much, you know, and that's testament to how well done the sequel trilogy has been, you know, so... I think people should brace themselves as much as possible for this movie to hit them, you know, because it is going to hit them. It's going to be like a physical blow because, Mm. for example, when I saw The Last Jedi for the first time, it sort of knocked the wind out of me a bit, you know, and I love that movie, but it's just a lot, you know, and watching it for the first time, like my mind was racing, you know, because it was just so much to take in and absorb. So my advice would be to watch it as calmly as possible, which I didn't succeed at. So (laughs) it's very much like a utopian vision for how to experience the movie. Then go away, think about it quietly for a little while. And then hopefully once you've had time to prepare yourself for a second viewing, go and watch it again. Because, yeah, I think it's all important to have that second look with any of these sequel movies, to be honest. So even thinking back into the dark, dark ages of watching Force Awakens, I think the first time I watched it, I really enjoyed it and I thought it was a fun movie. But it didn't speak to me on a profound level, you know, and I didn't immediately grasp onto all the Rain Kylo stuff in the way that I think you did, Kirsty. And I think in large part that was probably because I'd been reading like the internet beforehand and I was like, oh yeah, Ray's going to be the daughter of Han and Leia, you know, and I sort of had that experience even watching it for the first time, you know, either that or she was Luke's daughter or something. And then it was only this like creeping suspicion based on what I was seeing in the interactions between Ray and Kylo that made me think, hang on, maybe that isn't what's happening. And I think if that isn't happening, there might actually be an even more interesting story going on here. And then look where we are now. So, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is a process. I remember when we went to watch The Last Jedi, I was with the, the girls from Meta Machina. And mm-hmm. um, we watched it twice in the same night. We kind of just saw it back to back, which was lots of fun. Uh, but in a way made it almost harder to process because it was just like you didn't have time to really think about it afterwards. It was just like, well, hey, on to round two. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, that's intense. <laughs> And then I think we either saw it again the next day or the day after that. But um, yeah, it is just, I mean, you always want to see a Star Wars movie a couple of times, right? Mm. Um, Yeah. But yeah, there's just so much to take in on that first viewing. It really is like a sensory overload. You've got all these different subplots. We know that there are so many different character arcs to wrap up. The fact that it is like the culmination of not just this trilogy, but the Skywalker saga as a whole. So is it going to have this air of finality to it? Is it going to be like a little more open-ended because they want to pave the way for future stories, whether they're movies or other things? Um, Yeah, I think it's going to take a while to sink in and also to kind of cut yourself a break and 
be like, maybe I'll change my mind about it on subsequent viewings or I'll love it at first. And then over time, I'll kind of notice things that don't actually work for me as well as they might have at first. They might not hold up. But just to kind of be okay with it, because I love The Last Jedi, but there's parts about that movie that I don't love. Like, it's okay not to love all of it. Yeah, exactly. And none of us can say prior to seeing the movie how we're going to feel about the movie. You know, I think that's a safe statement to make. So, yeah, like, I want to love it. I really want to love it. But I don't know if I love it until I've seen (laughs) it, you know? So I go in in what I hope is going to be the best possible frame of mind, which is with an open mind as to what the story might be and a respect for the fact that it's ultimately not my story to tell, that it's a story that's spoken to me deeply and felt very personally engaging and enriching. But yeah, I'm not writing the script. I'm not directing the movie, you know, and making peace with that and then going in for deep breath and being like, okay, what do they want to tell me and how well are they telling me that story? You know, Mm. so that's how I want to approach it. Yeah. And, you know, in the years to come as well, like I'll be interested to see how this story kind of seeps into the cultural consciousness the way the other trilogies have. Oh, yeah. Star Wars really does have that power. And once the story is told as a whole, you know, we those, you know, people watching it in the future who maybe haven't seen it before or just haven't given it much thought yet, they'll think of it as a story that is complete. Whereas mm-hmm. we've been waiting two years between the movies, so we've had endless chances to talk to each other, to argue, debate all of this stuff, to think about where things are going, to kind of doubt our readings. And yeah. So it's going to be very different now the story's finished for other people to kind of experience it in future. Yeah, no, that's true. There's going to be this really fascinating consolidation, I think, of opinion essentially on what the story is like and how people respond to certain characters and certain dynamics and I think the sort of interim periods between movies that will get sort of lost like tears in the rain to quote Blade Runner oh such a good movie um (laughs) because yeah ultimately the sequel trilogy is going to turn into this single artifact rather than this thing that consists of phases and installments you know, which is how we've experienced it. So we've experienced it like people in Victorian times waiting for the next issue of a Charles Dickens novel that's being serialised in a popular magazine. You know, I know that sounds like a bit of a weird arsey comparison, but you know what I mean? It's that aspect of serial storytelling and future generations won't have that experience of it. And I'm really glad we did have that experience of it because it's very unique and it can't be replicated easily, I don't think. Yeah, and and having that whilst the creators have to be pretty tight-lipped about where things are going too. Um, I'm really looking forward to having JJ and Ryan be able to speak more openly about the process and kind of what they had, not set in stone, but what the uh, thesis statement of this trilogy was going to be at the beginning and how how that maybe changed, what stayed the same. Um, they They were able to be open about certain things, like in the Force Awakens art book, um, it's pretty openly stated that they didn't envision Poe living through that movie. He was originally going to die at the crash on Jakku. Mm-hmm. Um, but Oscar managed to convince J.J. to change his mind and he became a fully fleshed character in The Last Jedi and he's still in The Rise of Skywalker and they clearly still feel like they have things to do with that character. So things were definitely um, 
able to change but what was kind of consistently there as the thing they wanted to say with this trilogy and and what how did they think that was going to fit in with the rest of the skywalker story yeah no i'm much more interested in the interviews that everyone involved with these movies will be able to give once rise of skywalker is out there you know i think the director's commentary for rise of skywalker will be absolutely fascinating because hopefully at that point jd will be like ah screw this being secretive i'm just gonna say everything now it's all over anyway you know like i really Uh, want that yeah i almost want like directors they won't do this but i would love to have directors commentaries for the force awakens and the last jedi recorded after the rise of skywalker so they can kind of look back in hindsight and explain to us oh this was setting up this moment and this was kind of the evolution of this dynamic and where we thought things might go and just yeah. just speak more openly to it because i love those commentaries i think there's a lot of value there but they had to be secretive about some things or you know evasive about so and so and what they thought might happen here and and they also just didn't know because there was a lot of stuff you know they've said to an extent they've been making it up as they go along yeah Uh, and i'd also love new novelizations of the force awakens and the last (laughs) jedi to be honest especially the force awakens my main man alan dean foster (laughs) um because yeah i think that if those novelizations were to be written with the benefit of hindsight and full knowledge of what were to happen in subsequent movies i think that would be very different because yeah, we know for a fact, for example, that with The Last Jedi, the reason Jason Fry doesn't get into the like inner minds of Kylo, Kylo Ren and Rey is because he just didn't want to even go there because it was so secretive and he didn't know what they were meant to be thinking really in terms of any particular scenes. They didn't know where things were going and all that sort of thing, you know? So I think we'd see very interesting revisionist takes on those stories to an extent. True. I don't think it'll happen. And mm. I think Jason Fry did the best job he could with the information that he had and the reading of the story that he had. Um, but I see what you mean. Like the way that uh, the potential for a novel to get into these characters' minds, it's kind of a shame that he didn't have access to all of that. And of course, couldn't then put it in there because then people would know. Um, it's a shame that with a trilogy, especially spread out over four years, you do have to have that mystery aspect. I wonder if that means that the story's lost something somehow. Because it, it's gained a lot, like we say, in terms of fans being able to discuss things and things kind of being up for debate and open to interpretation. But I think it has also been a source of frustration for some people who haven't been able to connect with it in lots mm. of ways because they feel that Ray is kind of closed off and doesn't really speak her mind in lots of ways. And um, if people are kind of struggling to connect with that character and see her point of view or her motives for doing certain things um that's probably been one of the reasons that they didn't want to point people clearly in the way things were going yeah no exactly so yeah bring on next week i say bring on next week because <laughs> yeah God, it's just going to be an explosion yeah i will just say though that please be kind to us people because Obviously, as you can tell based on this conversation, we're going to be processing the movie when we still when we first talk about it as well. You oh know, yeah, we're going so. to be a mess. Yeah, so <laughs> don't expect any amazing insight. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to be all over the place, 
And I'll also remind people that I think with The Last Jedi, we were still like doing spotlights on different aspects of that movie like five months after it came out or something ridiculous. So hopefully we'll be able to get similar mileage out of The Rise of Skywalker and that lengthy digestion process that just also take ties into the whole idea of it taking time to absorb these movies and really decide what's going on and how we respond to it. You know, this is not an instant thing. Yeah, and there's a delay on other stuff as well. Like, I don't think the novelization's set to come out until March. I think the art book just got set back. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be a while before we can get to those and discuss them. And we'll have kind of the benefit of hindsight at that point. We'll have had three months to digest it and read interviews and talk about it amongst ourselves. So things are really going to evolve. And I, our understanding of The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens has changed so much since they were released too. That's part oh, yeah. of the fun. Absolutely. Is a constantly evolving thing and that's beautiful <laughs> okay awesome so i think that's a nice little discussion about fandom and where we're headed so <laughs> um let's move on to the next segment which is the mandalorian episode six which is called the prisoner so yeah let's just start off with some general thoughts what's your general review of the prisoner kirsty i really enjoyed it um this is the kind of episode that kind of similar to chapters in four and five could be labeled filler in that it's like a smaller, relatively self-contained story that moves character forward rather than the general plot, that bigger kind of thing with baby Yoda and the empire. But last week there were quite a few kind of mixed slash negative reactions to the episode, including ours. Uh, Mm. we weren't totally sold on it whereas this one I think is really well written well directed great new characters and we also learned a lot about the Mandalorian Um, and we even got some insight into the New Republic which was a bit of a surprise so I really enjoyed it I've already watched it twice and I can see myself revisiting this episode a lot yeah what do you think I really liked it as well um And yeah, it was quite fascinating to me in contrast to the previous episode because even though it didn't like tie into that bigger, in air quotes, story of Baby Yoda and what the deal with him is, you know, I think it did so much for the character of the Mandalorian and giving insights into who he is and how he's evolved from the person he used to be. Because I think that was the main point of this episode, to contrast the sort of people he used to run with and the sort of person he is now in the present because yeah basically I love how knocking you over the head with stuff this show is because in this episode you literally have the Mandalorian's former gang members be looking like actual demons you know so you have Natalie Tina with um her fangs literal fangs like a vampire and then you have like the red devil guy you know and i know they are both established star wars species but it's not accidental that they chose those characters to be those species yeah and yeah it's just tying into that clear morality play that's going on with this tv show and i love it it just adds to that mythic symbolic feel of the storytelling yeah and we've seen plenty of twi'leks before but there was a specific way she was presented and performed as a character um, because I don't remember seeing that kind of character design with fangs before. Mm, yeah. 
Like, I, um, it made me, um, I sort of felt like I was being a bit gaslit, to be honest. It's like, hang on, twi- Twi'leks don't have fangs, <laughs> do they? Um, see, I'm glad you're saying that because, yeah, well, I maybe could have sworn they do. haven't previously. Yeah, maybe some of them do. Or I don't know enough about it. Maybe it's not as homogeneous as we think. But mm. um, yeah, these were obviously like conscious choices they were making. There was this like pervasive, heavy tension throughout the entire episode, not just about what these characters were doing together they were going on this mission to rescue a prisoner it was obviously dangerous baby yoda was along for the ride and he was in danger too but um the dynamics that were at play like it was kind of intense and you could tell the mandalorian was uncomfortable um he didn't know the other characters the deveronian is it berg and Mayfell, they they were new to him, mm-hmm. but he obviously has a history of Xian with um, Quinn, the character that they were rescuing, and with Ran, the person who employed him as well. But right from the beginning, you got the sense that Ran was going to betray him, right? Oh yeah, it was just like obviously, I don't trust anyone. You shouldn't trust anyone. Haha, it's just like old times. It's like oh god. <laughs> yeah, okay. he seemed profoundly untrustworthy. I think is a good description of that character. <laughs> Yeah, but I liked all of the characters. Uh, whereas you contrast that with last week, and you obviously had the the young bounty hunter guy who you weren't supposed to like, but also wasn't really coming across as likable, even in that unlikable way. If you see what I mean? Mm, um, yeah. These characters are all roguish, but they're compelling. He wasn't to me for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just think this episode really pulled off what it was trying to do. Whereas I don't feel that way about chapter five, but. You know, that's okay. We'll like some stories better than others. Yeah. And again, I don't, I feel a bit mean saying this, but I think a lot of that can be put down to the direction. So it was co written by Christopher Yost and Rick Famiyua. Yeah, which is quite interesting because I didn't know Rick had a role in writing the episode as well, but that suggests it's very much his baby, basically, mm-hmm. if he had a part in the writing too. And yeah, I think you can just tell that Famiyua, he has a stronger handle on the direction than Filoni which makes sense he's so much more experienced you know and I think he was able to bring out more charismatic performances from his actors which helped a lot and yeah just the writing seemed sharper and more on point basically so I think everything was just working on a better level yeah and there were just some really cool visuals and effects um it was a very striking episode to watch too yeah, no, there's great moments um, later on when the Mandalorian has got free after they've betrayed yeah. him, basically. And he's sort of taking them on one by one. And those shots, they're done like stuff out of a horror movie, you know, complete mm-hmm. with lights flashing off and on and him moving as the lights are going off and on. And it's genuinely suspenseful and a bit scary, you know, which is quite a cool choice because as the viewers, we're obviously not... Mon- we're not meant to think of the Mandalorian as this scary, horrifying presence. But in the context of that moment, for the people he's pursuing and tracking down, yeah, he's meant to be scary. So it works. Yeah, and I think it's supposed to suggest to you that, well, at the end, it's like presented as a twist, right? That he's saying to Quinn, oh, they got what they deserved. Um, But it turns out that actually he just imprisoned them. Whereas the suggestion when he's hunting them down one by one is that he's killing them. Yeah. But he's not because he's a good guy. And Quinn says at the end, like, aren't you supposed to be a man of honor? And that is kind of the central question of, of the show, I think. Oh, because yeah. He, when he says that, like when he refers to the code, 
the Mandalorian again. He's masked, so we don't know for sure, but the camera kind of pans in and you can see things ticking over for him. It's like, am I a man of honor? I haven't quite figured that out yet. I'm trying to be. Yeah, and I think this episode was perhaps the first one we've seen where he's really directly confronting his past because the past is embodied by these people that he's in cahoots with in this episode, you know? And you can tell he does not like these people and he does not want to be in their company. And there's this deep sense of shame for what he's done in his past. You know, when um, Xi'an is, like, taunting him almost about the incident on some planet or other. Oh, yeah, that's right. Alzoc Free, apparently. Mm. Who knows what happened on Alzoc Free? Um, Something bad. Yeah, you can tell he did some bad shit, basically. And she just finds that funny, but he's ashamed, you know? And that's the perfect contrast between those characters, and that tells you all you need to know about them. Because it's like, okay, he did bad shit, but he's ashamed of it and he clearly regrets it. Whereas she just thinks it's hilarious, you know. I think she does think it's funny, but I think she's also laughing because she can see that it's making him uncomfortable. And she's like, oh, you think you're so much better than us now. Oh, yeah. I think probably goes hand in hand with whatever happened in their relationship too, right? Mm. Presumably he moved on and decided that wasn't right for him. And you kind of got the sense from previous episodes that he's renounced that, like, that sexual element of his life, right? That he's saying, like, no, I don't belong here. You know, he, he turned down Imara, but has this past. You're pretty clearly supposed to think that these two characters have a sexual history. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. I've seen some debate about that in terms of whether they actually did have sex. It's not spelled out. But it's clearly suggested for a reason. So, yeah. I would say it's heavily implied. Yeah, I've seen some people say that maybe she's just saw that he rejected her. But, I don't know, the way that they're talking about it and, like, have you seen his face and all that, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> but I think the point is that it's, like, wrapped up, like you say, in a past that he's trying to get away from and trying to figure out who he does want to be at this point. Oh, yeah. Totally. But yeah, I also would just want to use this as an opportunity to say how much I really loved that character of Xi'an. Me too. I thought she was so interesting and well played, actually, by Natalie Tina. I think she's easily been the best female guest star out of all of them so far. And I do like the others. You know, I don't mean to throw shade on on any of the others. I I just feel like this character was the most juicy one yet, you know, and had the most personality and the most verve... And yeah, I love that interplay of like malice and spite and playfulness that she had going on. I thought it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I'm really wanting to know more about her relationship with her brother as well. Oh, <laughs> God, on the yeah. surface, it's like, oh, we're going to rescue him. Like they embrace when they meet again. And then when she's put in danger and it looks like they might be able to escape without her. And Mayfield's like, well, what about your sister? He's like, what about her? Mm yeah so what's the story there are these just unequivocally bad people is there something in their past that means that she doesn't realize that he doesn't care about her as much as she cares about him Mm. because it's never suggested that she doesn't care about him like she's on this mission to rescue him but he's like "Mm, i got mine i feel like again that's just this that's yet another emblem of how dysfunctional and warped these people are because it forms this furry 
conscious, I think, contrast with the Mandalorian and the relation and the kinship that he's shown to have with other people, because he has that deep loyalty to the other Mandalorians in the Enclave, because they're his family, and he also has that profound bond with Baby Yoda now. You know that protective relationship. And I think it's just another way of underscoring the nobility of those bonds that the Mandalorian has and the, like, horribleness of these people, you know, where they're at the point where a brother and sister, like, they might superficially have a bond and embrace when they're reunited, but actually he doesn't give a shit about her, you know, and he's perfectly happy to leave her for dead, you know, because that's the moral fibre that you're talking about with these people. Yeah. And you can see that ultimately they are out for themselves because they're supposed to be a team here. But when Mando is like taking on all of those droids and the others are just watching, Zian actually goes to try and help and Mayfeld holds her back. Mm. So it is like, oh, he can handle it by himself. We were told that he was good at this stuff, but he actually gets into a spot of danger where it looks like he might not be able to make it out. And they just they just watch. They don't do anything. And even when he does kill all of those droids... Um, Mayfeld is just like, well, you need to clean up your mess. He doesn't thank him. He doesn't say that he's impressed. Yeah. So much of this TV show is actually about manners and people <laughs> who have good manners versus people who have no manners. And I think we all know who has good manners in this show. Mm-hmm. Really impressive episode, I felt. And also, another thing I really liked is I felt like for the first time in a while, they weren't shamelessly milking Baby Yoda. You know, so I felt like that shtick was starting to get a little bit old. You know, it's just like, oh, look at him sipping his little cup. Isn't he adorable? <laughs> you know, and it is adorable, but there's limits, you know, and you don't want to exploit something until it's just a shriveled up husk, essentially. Um, and yeah, I felt like this episode did a good job of featuring him and making it clear that he's cute and adorable, which he is but not pushing it too far. How did you feel about how they used Baby Yoda this time? I think they used him really well as, as you know, a way to tell the story because it was like the tension of them all going on the ship and we were thinking, just as I'm sure the Mandalorian was thinking, oh God, Baby's on there. So he's hidden away, but he, um, Berg is like, opening up various compartments and you just know it's a matter of time before they discover him. And then they think it's a pet. And Zian is kind of surprised, like, I didn't think you were the type, because when have I ever seen you truly care for anything? That's kind of the the unsaid thing there. And then they're all picking him up, and it feels like a violation, and Mandalorian's just kind of stood there. And it kind of goes hand in hand with them, like, mocking him and kind of threatening to unmask him. Like, it does mm. feel like his space and this thing that he really cares about is being violated. Oh, yeah. Um, and then once they're all on the prison as well, like, Zero voiced by Richard Ayoade, who I really enjoyed because he kind of added to that campy, sci-fi, dark place vibe to the whole show. (laughs) Yes. I even got, like, shades of Crystal Maze as they were running around, Um, (laughs) (laughs) which I do think Ayoade, that that kind of association had it in my mind anyway. But yeah, um, when Zero's kind of on the ship and then starts to realise that he's not alone, there's an organic on board... And you can see Baby Yoda like hiding behind certain things. Like it really is tense in lots of ways. I think it's really well done. Yeah, and it does justify the Mandalorian's fear of droids. Exactly, especially ones that look like giant flies. God, I hate that design. <laughs> yeah, scary. It's very creepy. He seemed well suited to a gang that included literal devils. 
it's scarier in live action than it is in like shows like Rebels. Yeah, <laughs> it's it there, true. It's like, ooh, <laughs> not nice. Yeah. And also, what about all the cameos going on in this episode? That was wild, right? It was really well done, I think, because if you didn't know these people, it, it wasn't like the attention was on them in a way that was like, hey, hey, look at this cameo. <laughs> yeah, so, they didn't give Filoni the cowboy hat. Right. <laughs> and if you didn't know Matt Lanter as the voice actor behind Anakin from The Clone Wars, who was the prison guard, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know it, that was anything special about that scene or you were kind of being drawn to that. I think he just gave a good performance as that character. And I loved the way Mayfeld was like mocking his matching boots and belt. Yeah. <laughs> because they're so far removed from that bureaucracy and clean cutness of the New Republic, right? Yeah. That poor guard, he just seemed like such a nice regular dude just doing his job, trying to be responsible and yeah, down on his luck, got raided by pirates. Bad, bad luck guy. Bad yeah, luck dude. Yeah, he was very nervous and then at the end of course we had the cameos from the directors coming in as the new republic pilots um what was interesting about that was that they seemed so cold i know that they're professionals and they're doing a job but it was like oh we've heard this tracking beacon go off oh we're gonna go over and then we're just gonna kill these people like it was very nonchalant like i don't know it kind of struck me in that way yeah no it was really interesting i love those insights into the new republic and also, did you see what Filoni's character is called, Kirsty? Trapper Wolf? Trapper Wolf. <laughs> you know he chose that name. You know yeah. he chose that name. Oh, absolutely. It's all by design. <laughs> yeah. Like, it reminds me of those t-shirts that you get with, like, wolves on them, like Howling at the Moon and stuff, and I've never quite understood. But <laughs> I, I think it's a choice. And <laughs> if that's the choice you want to make for your fashion and your lifestyle go ahead identify with wolves super cool do it there were also some cool like references to other aliens that we don't get as much like they asked mando if he was a gungan <laughs> and mayfeld even did an impression of one uh and yeah. one of the aliens as they're walking around and they're seeing the prisoners one of them was um the same species as rio from solo who was yes. voiced by john favreau Yes, I so, noticed that. that I like want cool. to know what crimes those people committed. <laughs> like all of them could have their own spin-offs in a way, such as the nature <laughs> of Star Wars. And I'll tell you who really struck me. There was that Imperial officer. He was just sort of scowling and yeah. pacing. And he looked so sinister. I was like, what have you done, <laughs> dude? You must have done really bad shit because, God, if the New Republic had to arrest every single First Order officer... I would have yeah. wanted to see the bureaucracy involved in that. Yeah, it was like a twist on the cantina where you can almost imagine them releasing it from a certain point of view book that has a little short story about each of these prisoners, right? They've all got a reason why they're there. Um, yeah. And I, I just love the way certain things are filmed. I don't know if we already mentioned this, but the way the lights are flashing as Mando comes up behind Mayfeld, I mm. always love the way that's done. I know it's it's been done to death but i just think it's so effective oh yeah no absolutely it's a tried and true method of creating suspense in your movie slash tv show but it's tried and true for a reason so yeah mm -hmm. yeah and we got some classic western tropes like them all pointing their guns at each other <laughs> pretty fun and then jian just is like oh i'm gonna take matters into my own hands this is taking too long yeah 
I do like that sometimes when like there's that trope and people just decide to dismiss with it. It's like that great Indiana Jones moment, isn't it? When the guy does all the fancy moves and Indiana is just like, ah, no. <laughs> it's too dumb. Okay, awesome. Any final thoughts or should we move on to Resistance? Um, I don't know. I guess I'm just excited to see how it continues. I think we're getting this week's episode early because of The Rise of Skywalker. Supposedly it also includes a preview for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like last week, while I really enjoyed this episode, I'm wondering if things kind of will revert back towards that main plot that we got for the first three episodes um, before this season finishes. Um, the pacing is really interesting. Yeah. Next episode is directed by Deborah Chow again. Okay. And she directed what I think we both agree is the best episode this season so far, episode three. Um I'm not I'm not sure actually. There are lots that I like for different reasons. Okay. I I really love episode two. Oh, okay, nice. Um, yeah. I can yeah. see that. And and I really love this one as well. So I I I do love episode three and I definitely understand why other people think it's the best, but yeah. I don't I don't think I have a clear favourite. Right. No, that makes sense. But yeah, I guess the point I was trying to make is that episode three, that was the last episode that we've had to this point that was about that baby Yoda plot, essentially. Mm. So yeah, it would be nice to see that brought back, but we'll find out soon enough. So yeah, fingers crossed. Um, okay, cool. So then we'll just move into a very quick discussion of the latest episode of Resistance, which is episode 10, Kaz's Curse. So, yeah, what's your quick review of Kaz's Curse, Kirsty? <laughs> uh, it was a really fun episode. Um, and I think it raised a lot of interesting questions about the nature of the Force and is it just what we make of it? Can it be? Uh, how much are we in control of as individuals? Um, yeah what's our destiny are we kind of doomed to be cursed or can we take matters into our own hands um, and I think you see Kaz kind of wrestling with some really big questions uh, while he's stressed out with other practicalities too but I thought there were parts of this episode that felt like they could be taking place in season one and then all of a sudden like Mika Grey would show up and I'd be like oh okay so this definitely is set in this time period Yes. But while they're like out on the deck of uh, the Colossus and there's like, it's daytime and there's market stalls around it, it did kind of feel like we were back in season one almost. Yeah. It's like, guys, are you really like doing anything at all to contribute <laughs> towards the resistance right now? Well, so I really don't feel it. <laughs> yeah. Because again, even with like, we saw the Guavian Death Gang, but it was still relating to them just trying to get somewhere. Yeah. It, it wasn't so much about them as part of the resistance yeah so it was definitely cool to see them again i think those that deaf gang has an amazing character costume design yeah um cool to get that kind of call back to the force awakens but not really wider implications yeah i think this episode further reinforced for me that we desperately need to see like the colossus gain some sort of purpose within the re within the resistance basically it's like what are you going to do for the cause guys you've aligned yourself with the resistance do something, anything for the resistance, mm -hmm. you know, like just be a refueling station for them. That's all you need to be. <laughs> then that's well, great. Will. You know, you can have like little cameos from various like resistance people, you know, like Snap and whoever, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. hi, I'm Jess Parva. I'm here for the week. Oh. 
I totally get why, because obviously once we got into The Last Jedi territory, Poe was elsewhere, but I do miss Poe in this series, and I think that's a large part of why it feels kind of disconnected, mm. um, which is a shame. But I'm I'm very interested to see what this week's episode is like, because we got a preview, which looked like Tam was kind of encountering General Hux, and I wonder if on the Colossus side of things, people are going to be doing things that play more into the sequel trilogy events as well yeah i haven't seen spoilers for the episode but i've seen like reactions that suggest it's much more in line with the main story basically and it's also um called station to station which is also the name of the best (laughs) david bowie album yeah i'm really looking forward to this week's episode and i think that's well timed to kind of get people hyped to see hux again Yes. After we we did get a little look at animatronic hooks at Galaxy's Edge, <laughs> which they'd kept under wraps, so I was surprised to see that. I do love now that there's this lovingly recreated animatronic Donald Gleason in the world. I think that's quite wonderful. And I'd love to see like just Donald be on that ride with hopefully all his family members, like his mum, his dad, his brothers, just like riding that ride and looking at himself as an animatronic creature. I think that'd be the ultimate Uncanny Valley. <laughs> yeah, that would be funny. Bre- Brendel Hux on the Rise of Resistance. Yes! Uh, his father in canon is kind of inspired by Brendan Gleeson. <laughs> I'd like to see Brendel Gleeson posing with the animatronic Hux, please. That's what I want. Sorry, I'm not sure how the dis- um, discussion of Star Wars Resistance turned into this, um, but I'm happy it did. Um but yeah, just quickly about Kaz's curse. I was really glad to see Mika Gray. I like that character. I liked seeing her own some fools and make some money. That was honestly the highlight of this episode for me. And it was fine. You know, it was enjoyable. And I definitely think it was better than the last episode. It was a much more solid story in its own right, you know, and it worked well on its own terms. Um, but, and I hate to use this word, so I feel like I'm using it a lot. So I apologize in advance. But it was fundamentally filler in that it wasn't, further in the main story you know which is why we want this station to station episode you know so it it wasn't furthering the main story but i think i'm a little softer on it because i do think it raised some interesting questions about the force and how people who are quote-unquote not force sensitive like has supposedly who doesn't really believe in the force at least that's what he said before um how they perceive this kind of stuff because presumably when he thinks he's been cursed he does think that's something to do with the force but he doesn't believe it at first and Niku's the one who strongly believes it and then he comes around to thinking well maybe I am because all this bad stuff keeps happening but is that kind of like a weird confirmation bias is it like a self-fulfilling prophecy does he just need like a placebo effect to make it go away like I, I think it's quite interesting yeah, no, I think there were interesting ideas. Uh, I think what I really needed to do was watch the episode twice. I only had time to watch it once quickly. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think if I watched it again, those deeper levels would come out more. <laughs> so yeah, the profundity of Star Wars Resistance. I do love this show. Yeah, I do love it. I do, honestly. But yeah, I just love Tam. Like, if you made me choose between like Tam as a character and the rest of the show i would always choose tam yeah i think that's what's interesting because i think for season one it was a real toss-up for me i loved kaz i loved yiga i loved tam Mm -hmm. um and then since tam made the choice to leave it's like 
that depth of that decision the the gravity of it has been left with her but not so much with the other characters and that's that wasn't true at the beginning in episode one you really see kaz grieving for that friendship he's devastated he's still trying to connect with her we do see that in those first couple of episodes and then since then has he even mentioned her Mm. kind of strange yeah it's just like this big gaping silence isn't it Maybe what they need to do is just have all the characters defect to the First Order. <laughs> that would be an amazing twist. <laughs> and then in episode nine, we get this glimpse of Christopher Sean in a, in a First Order uniform. <laughs> like tripping and falling because he's Kaz. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. If you tried to translate the animated style of Kaz into live action, it would be absolutely ludicrous. That's amazing. I would love that though. That would make my day. Like anything else could happen in Rise of Skywalker, and I'd be like, "But that happened, so that makes it like slips on a banana peel." (laughs) And you just hear this like distant yelp as he crashes down. That would be hilarious. Oh my god. Oh dear. (laughs) Oh god. But yeah, no. I know. I feel like I'm being down on it for a few weeks now, but I do genuinely really like Resistance. You know, and I think it's a good show. I think. It's just, as we were saying last week, it has been shown to achieve such heights of storytelling and character that when it doesn't achieve those heights, I perhaps unfairly respond to it a bit more negatively than it deserves. You know, so that's what's going on. Yeah, I think that's understandable. Yeah, but we'll see. And I'm very excited for next week's episode. The only shame is that I'm not sure when we'll be able to discuss it exactly. Because I think, yeah. yeah. I I think what we'll have to do, because... The, the series will be over in a few weeks and then that's the entire show done. So I think what we'll have to do is kind of put it on ice for a while, keep watching the episodes week by week, but we're going to be so focused on The Rise of Skywalker and even The Mandalorian wrapping up that it might we might not get to actually talking about Resistance again until like the end of January or even into February. But at that point, we can do like a more general overview of what we think the show was about and how we responded to it. Yeah. Exactly. And I can finally create that view in order that I want to create where <laughs> just watch these episodes. Because <laughs> it's fair. Yeah. Sometimes that's beneficial. <laughs> but yeah. So this is it, guys. This is oh our last God. episode before the I've Rise of Skywalker. I, I've been in like denial. I know it's happening, but oh my God, it's happening. Yeah. Does it feel real now that I just said that? Yeah, because we're not having another episode now until we've seen this movie. The world has seen this movie and everything will be changed forever. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it is very, very strange. And yeah. Can you imagine if we hate it and we have to come back and do a reaction? (laughs) Oh, God. How good that would be. Oh, man. I really don't want that to happen. Of course, it might. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I'd be very surprised. You know, it's got the characters that we love played by the actors that we love directed by the director who made the movie that made us fall in love with the sequel trilogy in the first place you know so that gives me a great deal of hope for the fact that i'm at the very least going to enjoy and find a lot of value in this movie you know and i can't say that absolutely because yeah as i said earlier we don't know how we're going to feel about it until we see it but touch wood i feel cautiously optimistic basically me too so yeah i will just say i think rather than my usual sign off i think people know where to find me i'm rachel and may the force be with us all 
Oh yeah, I'll see you on the other side. Yeah, that's my <laughs> sign off. I honestly can't think of a better sign off at this point. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm excited. I'm apprehensive. I'm cautious. I can't wait to see what everyone else thinks of this. What our listeners think. What other people in the fandom make of it. And I love reading the critic reviews as well when they come out. I think they have a really interesting take on things as well. So there's going to be a lot to digest, a lot to experience over the next few weeks. Yeah. Uh, on top of the holidays as well. So it's going to be an interesting time for everyone. And I, I just hope that everyone enjoys it as much as they can. Yeah. No, exactly. I want people to love Star Wars as much as possible, basically. Without exactly. enforcing love, you know, because that's scary. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Let's sign off then. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. And again, may the force be with us all. <laughs>